Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Kate and Ashley Olsen were the sisters you likely grew up watching. Twins who took the television industry and the world by storm when they were just babies. But growing up under the spotlight came with countless challenges. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello, Michelle Andrews. Hello, Zara McDonald. It's funny when it comes to the Olsen twins and this two-part series. I feel like we'd kind of been tossing it up for a little while. Mm. And for us, we were kind of like, where are they now? Like, What are, what they, are they doing? doing? They didn't seem as obvious or obvious enough because they live a much quieter life. For sure. But when we started to dig into this with our researcher, Justine Landis-Hanley, we were like, oh, there's a lot to unpack here from the years that we grew up watching these twins. Yeah, the story of these two women is absolutely wild. Just the amount of success that they managed to achieve so very young. But also the cultural impact they had, it's it's kind of insane. I can't really think of any other celebrities who left such a mark on so many people's childhoods. Like when I think of my childhood, I really do think of the Olsen twins a lot. For sure. And I think the other thing that's very interesting is – they seem to really, really successfully sort of avoid so many of the trappings of child fame. When you hear this story of how young they were when they became famous and all of the things that were thrown at them, it's pretty astounding to me that they're in the spot they're in now. Yeah, 100%. And even like living the kind of private life that they're in now, I was just completely blown away by this. So I'm so excited to dive into it with you. Yeah, for sure. We are going to rewind everyone to 1986 when Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen were born. Alrighty, Mitch. So Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen were born in 1986, as you just mentioned. And I think, of course, one of the first things you should know is not just that they are twins, but they aren't actually identical twins. This they got are me. fraternal twins. I had no idea. Fraternal twins who look so identical. Like, so they're no more connected via DNA than me and my sisters. Yes. Like, they have the same, well, we don't know specifics, but there's every likelihood that they could have looked as different as me and my sisters look or as you and Mietta look, but they look identical. Absolutely. But then you think about it and I think about 
their younger sister, Elizabeth Olsen. And even though Elizabeth Olsen doesn't look identical to these two, they all look very alike. Incredibly distinctive. But I was completely blown away by this. I can't tell these two apart. Not at all, for sure. Now, they grew up in the Valley in California with their mum, Jeanette, and their dad, David, their older brother, Trent, and their younger sister, Elizabeth Olsen, who, as we know, is a megastar today. Yeah, exactly. Now, Their parents divorced in 1995 and the twins later got two half-siblings, Taylor and Jake. Now, Mary-Kate and Ashley, as we know, broke into the entertainment industry when they were just nine months old. Literal babies. Their mum's friend actually represented a casting agency that was looking for twins. Now, Rolling Stone reported that their mum sent in a photo of her twin daughters for the hell of it because who knows what could happen and soon enough got a call from the people behind a new TV show called Full House. Now, for those who don't know, Full House went on to become a show about a widowed guy who recruits his brother-in-law and childhood friend to help raise his three young daughters. One of those characters was a little baby toddler called Michelle. (laughs) Represent. Yeah, represent. And the production team wanted to audition their nine-month-old Mary-Kate and Ashley for her part. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because of strict child labour laws, infants could only work for about 20 minutes at a time. I mean, good that that's a law. I mean, but I'm like, how are there such things as child labour laws for babies as young as nine months? Like, that is mildly dystopian, but alas, I guess it was part of the TV show. So it was really appealing for production to be able to hire twins to play the same character because you can get a good 40 minutes out of them instead of 20. <laughs> a whole 40 minutes of work. And look, Mary-Kate and Ashley made a really good impression as much. <laughs> it sounds so stupid. Made a good impression well, as nine-month-old babies. It sounded dumb as well when I led with they broke into the industry at nine months old. Like, what do you mean they broke into the industry at nine months? <laughs> Took it by storm. But anyway, they left a good impression on the production team because they didn't cry during the audition. According to Rolling Stone, the producers were just immediately charmed by how unfazed these two twins were and basically gave them the job on the spot. And that's, I guess, all you'd have to offer as a nine-month-old if any nine-months <laughs> old are listening. Literally, the whole job description Just is be chill. Be chill. <laughs> be chill. Now, the show wasn't universally loved. The LA Times called it contrived muck and a great argument for birth control. But the show did go on to gain popularity and the girls in particular were a total instant hit. The Washington Post, looking back, wrote that the original show depended on, and I quote, the cuteness of the Olsen twins. Yeah, creator Jeff Franklin told Variety that the twins and I quote had so much emotion and they were adorable and they had these giant blue eyes every week they were giving us something that we might have hoped for but we never really expected and all kinds of fun surprises on top of it. Mary-Kate and Ashley basically grew up on set like they learned their first words on set. They were too young, of course, to read scripts or cue cards. So their acting coach would say their lines off camera for them to repeat. I don't understand how this even happened. No, it really does make you think like as well, not to put a negative spin on everything, but let me go there. These two young kids had no choice in the matter as to how their lives would turn out. I don't think you, you really know what you want until you're even maybe early teens, mid-teens, that you can actually you call the shots in your own life. Know what you want till you're in your twenties. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> you, <laughs> you and like, I for sure. But like, I agree. These are two children who grew up in a system 
And yes, maybe they enjoyed it, but they didn't really have an option to do anything other than enjoy it because this is what was chosen for them when they were babies. I think it's an interesting conversation in the context of where we're at in 2022 and, you know, parents putting kids on Instagram and social media and consent with those kinds of things. I mean, this is the earliest example of that, I think, when you're putting your child on a stage in front of an audience of millions of people and not giving them a say in the matter. Like... Mary-Kate and Ashley, I mean, spoiler alert, have not said very little about this over the course of their life. But I think as outsiders, you can't help but wonder. Mary-Kate later told Entertainment Tonight about growing up on set. That was like our life growing up. That was what we did. Every morning we'd go to school and then we'd go to Full House. Their family was incredibly clever when it came to harnessing Mary-Kate and Ashley's growing popularity. According to Rolling Stone, their dad found an entertainment lawyer by the name of Robert Thorne, now remember his name because he'll pop up a bit later, who promptly negotiated their pay from around $4,000 an episode to $25,000 an episode. Not bad. When they were in the first grade, Mary-Kate and Ashley actually made their first TV movie. It was called To Grandmother's House We Go (laughs) and it premiered on ABC. It was the first time the twins were playing separate characters. When the film nearly beat 60 minutes in the television ratings, Rolling Stone reported that their entertainment lawyer, Robert Thorne, stepped in and negotiated a deal where the twins would supply movies to ABC through their very own production company. Yes. So in 1993, when Mary-Kate and Ashley were just six years old, their family created this company called Dual Star Entertainment Group, which made Mary-Kate and Ashley the youngest producers in Hollywood they're ever. six. Yeah, well, they're not producing. They don't even have a choice in the matter. Yeah, and also the name, Dual Star. I yeah. see what they were going for with that. Uh, it took me far too long to get that. <laughs> It was an incredibly smart business move to leverage the girls' fame, no matter what you think of it from, I guess, an ethical standpoint. Now, especially given around this time when they were creating Jewel Star Entertainment, Full House was going bananas. It was garnering more than 25 million viewers a week. And what's so interesting is that through Jewel Star, the family basically set up Mary-Kate and Ashley for life. Now, Jewel Star's output was so prolific and went so far beyond just TV movies. It produced all of the Olsen twins' iconic films and TV series and products for years to come. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was a series of direct-to-video musical mysteries called The Adventures of Mary-Kate and Ashley where the girls were detectives with the motto, We'll solve any crime by dinner time. <laughs> there was also another series of musical direct-to-video episodes where guests were invited to different events with Mary-Kate and Ashley, like a sleepover or a birthday party and a fashion party. I have such nostalgic memories of having like sleepovers with my girlfriends and putting yes. on Mary-Kate and Ashley. Like it was it. I believe my cousin was obsessed with Mary-Kate and Ashley as well. And I remember seeing all of the lined up like videotapes and DVDs in her house of like the treasure trove of just everything you could ever want from the Olsen twins. And I remember being jealous of people that had that because oh. I did not have that. Aspiration culture. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now, while all of this was going on, Mary-Kate and Ashley continued to work on Full House as Michelle until 1995 when the show ended, they were nine years old and their careers, despite their main gig ending and having nine years or eight years, I should say, 
in the industry were about to completely ramp up. Yeah, correct. In 1995, Jewel Star produced the twins' first feature film. It was called It Takes Two. And look, Mary-Kate and Ashley were really recognised for it. They won a Kids' Choice Award for Favourite Movie Actress. And in 1998, Jewel Star released another TV show with Mary-Kate and Ashley called Two of a Kind. Now, that show only went for one season, but it aired in reruns on cable TV for years afterwards and kind of became a bit of a sleeper hit. Yeah, absolutely. The production company was also behind all of those classic adventure movies that Mary-Kate and Ashley shot during their summer breaks like Passport to Paris, Our Lips Are Sealed, When in Rome and Winning London. Mm. In 2001 and 2002, the company also produced two more TV shows starring the twins, So Little Time and an animated adventure cartoon called Mary, Kate and Ashley in Action. It makes me wonder what would have happened to this company if one of the twins, just one of them said, I don't want to do this anymore. Or fell sick. All got tight. Like, it, there are so many variables in this. You're working with really young children. The amount of output, the amount of insane. programs you're putting them in is absolutely insane. The amount of work. How many hours were a then child-aged Mary-Kate and Ashley working? They would have had to be working more than 40 hours a week. I absolutely agree. I totally that promotion agree. promotion as well? That, like, we're talking about filming and putting out all this stuff. What about the prom- learning the lines for all this stuff? It's prolific. Promoting it. And then on top of all that, guys, the company went further. They were commodifying the twins in really any way they could think of. They sold Mary, Kate and Ashley fashion dolls, a magazine, cassette tapes, books based on the TV shows, clothing, CDs with lyrics like, this heat has turned us crispy, splat some butter on, wear toast. <laughs> I, again, want to be conscious of like not projecting on two women who really haven't kind of spoken in depth about their own experience. Yeah. But as I did say earlier, there is something that feels a little dystopian about all of this. Like you've got children who you've, and you've got a bunch of adults in the room profiting off their image. And it's not just saying, oh, let's put them in a movie. Let's put them in a TV show. It is how many movies can we throw out? How many TV shows can we throw out? And how many products can we stick their face on to sell? Like they became totally commodified. Yeah, and maybe people are sitting there thinking, well, fuck, I would have loved for my parents to do that when I was nine and build me a net worth that I could live off forever. And while that might be true, it feels like such a risk for me that you can't know how someone actually feels about it in the moment. And is it worth it? In my opinion, no. As as like someone who sees himself becoming a parent in the future, no. But I mean, I guess it's up for debate based on how you guys listening at home feel. What also happened with these twins being shoved into the spotlight is that the media coverage was pretty gross and pretty weird at times. Yeah. Now, while the majority of this content has since been deleted, shock jock Howard Stern's inappropriate comments about the Olsen twins, which date back to when they were just teenagers, are a pretty shocking example of how Mary-Kate and Ashley were inappropriately sexualized by the media. Now, One example of this is actually in a 2009 recording of Howard Stern's radio show, which has been re-uploaded to YouTube by celebrity bloggers. Now, in that recording, Howard Stern and his co-hosts joke around about how they used to say things like three years until the Olsen twins are legal. So as I said, a lot of the old content that Howard Stern's put out has since been deleted. But you've got a clip from 2009 where they acknowledge, oh, yeah, we used to do that and we used to say that. Yeah, and... They joke about it still. Yeah. And the weird thing about the 2009 bit is 
they then say, oh, we don't feel that way anymore. We felt that way when they were really young. But now that they're of age and they can give consent, we don't feel that way anymore. So it, it's a it's an awful conversation to listen to. It's incredibly yuck. There was also an interview that the girls did on February 6, 2002 with Connie Chung on an episode of 2020 Downtown. Now, in that interview... Chung asked them about their virginity. Ashley later told the media that she was furious that there was even a line of questioning about that in the interview. She said, I got really angry and defensive. I was like, that is personal. Why would you be asking a 16-year-old that question in the first place? I mean, they're dealing with this at the age of 16 and younger. Yeah, and like, to be blunt, I'm 28. And if someone put me on the spot and asked me about my sex life, I would feel uncomfortable. And I'm not sure I would be able to respond in a way that I would like to, let alone 12 years ago when I was at such a tender age as 16. Yeah. And I think the hard part about researching this and putting this all together is realizing that truthfully, it only got worse and worse as the years went on. But we're going to talk about that after the break. All right, Zara, you said before the break that unfortunately the media coverage of the Olsen twins only got pricklier as the years went on. In September 2003, Rolling Stone ran a huge profile of Mary-Kate and Ashley. They appeared on the cover of the magazine with the following headline, Mary-Kate and Ashley, America's favourite fantasy. Like, what does that even mean? No, I mean, I think I mean, we all know I think, what it yeah, means. Yeah, 100%. The title of the piece itself was even raunchier and more yark. It was The Olsen Twins, Sisters of Perpetual Abstinence. The article began by trying to capture the twins' fame, describing the way that the people around them did triple takes as they walked past, how people ogled them at cafes. The magazine also seemed to capture the kind of quote-unquote sexual fantasy that Mary-Kate and Ashley represented as two stunning twin sisters and the creepy behaviour that they face because of that. Mm. It's kind of a weird story because they're trying to point out other people's behaviour as creepy while also writing a relatively creepy story themselves. And trying to profit off a headline like America's favourite fantasy. For like, sure. I, we've said this before on the show, but our least favourite thing is when media publications through this like kind of bullshit filter try and point at other media publications or other people and go that's gross we don't like that while trying to still profit off of that exact same narrative if that makes sense for sure it's trying to masquerade as the good guy while still trying to get the same level of clicks and the same sort of result yeah a hundred percent here's a passage from that rolling stone piece as the two enter the cafe a pair of college age guys give them an up and down god they're hot one breathes i'll take the one on the left you take the other says his pal they stay rooted to the spot of course The piece went on. Famous since they were nine months old, the Olsons, now 17, are like your friend's heretofore unnoticed kid sister who has suddenly grown up. The piece described the twins, and I quote, tantalising mystery. One passage in the article reads, what registers first is, hmm, twins. Next, pretty twins. And finally, are they? Uh, Yeah, like are they dot, 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 question question mark. mark is what the writer Jancy Dunn wrote. And reading between the lines, is she trying to say what registers first is, hmm, twins, next, pretty twins, and finally, are they virgins? That's, that's what the, she's That's what she's saying without saying. I don't know, but that's the first place my mind went given the tone of this story. And given the theme of sexual fantasy. They know what they're doing. They're not saying it so that 
if someone said, oh my God, do you mean are they virgins? They'd be like, no, we never said that. Of course not. We'd never say that about teenagers. But it's like you want people to go there. As we said, the tone was just so incredibly creepy. Writer Jancy Dunn wrote, in person, they have that big goggled vulnerability of children in a Margaret Keane painting, which may in part describe their incredible appeal. They do not seem hardened by the world. They show no angry edge, no indefinable hurt. God. I mean, it is this roundabout way of commenting on their intense level of purity. How innocent they are and therefore that innocence and purity is such a turn on for college aged guys. Yeah, they do not seem hardened by the world says a lot about how much we love young women. Who are like delicate flowers. Yes, absolutely. Femininity. That we need to protect. Yeah, I mean if that wasn't all bad enough. Get a load of this passage from the piece which comments on their clothing. They are wearing casual get-ups, Birkenstocks and loose cotton pants. The duo is notoriously modest, a happy bonus for arch-conservative Walmart whose executives would prefer that they not show their midriffs in public. It's out for us, says Ashley, but I just don't like showing my body like that. It's just not me. Honestly, what you see is what you get with us. It's not like, oh, I wish I was wearing a mini skirt to this premiere, but I can't. She shudders. I would kill myself if I was in a miniskirt. The way that obviously these young girls have been fed lines as well by their publicity teams to be like, don't be the sluts. Don't be slutty. Yeah. And we're putting that, of course. I I hope it goes without saying we're putting that in inverted commas. Yes, of course. What was really strange as well in this piece was how it mentioned that the film Passport to Paris featured the girls' first on screen kiss. Now, how's this line from the journalist? The director suspects it was Mary-Kate's first kiss of any kind because she was so jumpy and did a dozen takes. What what is the director doing talking to the media about that and something so private and personal? Yeah, and then like commenting on, oh, she was so anxious about it. Like, don't be an asshole. There's such an asshole thing to do. In front of all these adults. She was so anxious about the the on-screen kiss. I suspect it might have been her first. Or maybe she was just fucking anxious about it. So many fucking wankers in the industry. It was smutty. This whole piece was smutty, right? Rolling Stone tried to pinpoint Mary-Kate and Ashley's enduring popularity and they said it's because they they seemed hip yet approachable. Yeah. As an aside as well, the journalists also tried to explain their success with this too. She wrote, there's even a theory floating around that their popularity has been sustained by an explosion in multiple births. About one in every 35 births in the US is to twins. I mean, we're talking about clutching here. (laughs) You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of our Anne Hathaway episode where they try and do some bullshit science trying to figure out why people didn't like Anne Hathaway's face. Yeah, wasn't it like it reminded them of like the GFC or something? Yeah, the global financial crisis. Apparently her face, the shape of her face (laughs) reminds us of the global financial crisis. Uh, Now, their success too seemed to be contingent on this very wholesome brand that they put out to the world that we've touched on. No, the Hilton sisters was an actual line in this piece. And on top of that, Rolling Stone also wrote about how the twins spoke emphatically about how much they live normal lives. This is a line. They love yoga, talking on the phone, going to the movies and the beach, Dave Matthews Band and Coldplay. They attend a small private high school and have structured their lives to resemble those of their friends. Sometimes this means making sacrifices of an almost surreal nature. Last spring, Oprah wanted to book them, but they had to turn it down to study for their SATs. Mm. Fascinatingly too was how people in their team were already prepping Mary-Kate and Ashley for full-blown A-grade adult stardom. Robert Thorne, that entertainment lawyer we've mentioned a couple of times, told Rolling Stone, Mary-Kate and Ashley will become movie stars ultimately. It will happen. Yeah, 
That's what they're planning for. Did you tell Mary-Kate and Ashley that you were planning this? Mm. Now, I think what an interesting question is, is like what was it about Mary-Kate and Ashley that made them such popular and hugely, hugely profitable celebrities? Was it simply because they seemed down to earth and relatable? There is this really interesting kind of mini documentary online called The Twins by director Zara, represent Merza. (laughs) Now, the documentary tries to explain our collective obsession with the Olsen twins and kind of tries to answer the question, why do so many millennial women still feel so attached to Ashley and Mary-Kate? Yeah, the documentary posits a lot of possible reasons. For one, it could be the fact that twins generally are found to be really visually compelling. But also I think the documentary really asserts we are enamoured by what twins represent as it poses in the doco. In a world where female figures in the public eye are so often torn apart, is there an otherworldly strength to the presence of two women inextricably united? They seem impenetrable in their secret languages of body and mind and act as symbols of female allyship. I actually agree with that. There is something glittery and interesting and, I don't know, otherworldly about twins that I personally think I opted into for sure with Mary-Kate and Ashley. I think if people are listening to that thinking, oh, God, that's a stretch, I think we have to really understand there had to be something. There has to be something bigger than us that got these two to the point that they got to that early. Like there has to be something very intrinsic to what they had. So I think we kind of do have to consider this stuff to be like, yeah, actually that probably is it. It has to be that. Because people don't just get that famous and make that much money off us for no reason. It's not luck. And of course they're talented, of course. But plenty of young child stars are talented but do not make the hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars that Mary-Kate and Ashley did. Yeah, and you have to ask the question, like, what are they appealing to in us? The documentary also points out that the fact that this dynamic was only accentuated in a lot of Mary-Kate and Ashley's films by the fact that their characters almost always didn't have a mother. So they just had each other and it was like their inextricable bond that you really bought into. Zara Mirza also spoke about the commodification of Mary-Kate and Ashley and that's something that we kind of have touched on through this episode, Mish, that while Mary-Kate and Ashley had this huge appeal, they also had this absolute machine of a production company working in their corner to maximise their reach and their success. Yeah, they had a stranglehold on both the preteen and teen markets. That year, 2003, when these two were still just teenagers, Forbes magazine estimated the company's sales at Jewel Star Entertainment were around $1.4 billion, making Mary-Kate and Ashley two young teenagers who are worth about $137 million each. Yeah, Rolling Stone visited Jewel Star for that piece we spoke about and had a conversation with Robert Thorne, who had been CEO of the company since 2001. Now, at this point, the company had 62 employees and was located in a Century City high-rise now, the twins were 17. This is a company that they basically owned. 62 That had 62 employees. employees. Rolling Stone described what it was like walking through the Jewel Star office with Robert Thorne. They wrote, he points out the clothing design studios, then stops in another room that looks like a giant closet. There's the toddler line and plus size because the girls don't want to be exclusive. They want to be inclusive. The other end of the room looks like a CVS store after a looting. Mary-Kate and Ashley shampoo, perfume, go sparkle, roll-on, center shimmer powder. He rounds another storage room piled with CDs and videos. Mm, While Robert Thorne was CEO at this point, he did stress this. The girls are involved in every decision. He said that they had the power to veto him, but he did not have the power to veto them. I get it. Like, 
great, but also <laughs> when it's a dynamic of like an old school entertainment lawyer who's like an old man and you've got two young 17-year-old girls, I could very easily be told, no, that's not the right thing and just assume I don't know the answer. Yeah, for sure. As Zara Mirzar said in her documentary, in revisiting all of this, I also wonder who really controlled the narrative. As children, we were made to believe that Mary-Kate and Ashley were always in control of their decisions, CEOs of Jewelstar and mini moguls. But the reality was more complicated. They were young women who were a living brand, serving an audience. Their bodies and personalities were treated like public property. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the following year in 2004, Mary-Kate and Ashley were set to turn 18 and become co-presidents of Jewelstar. And there was certainly this pressure on Mary-Kate and Ashley to kind of continue being relatable, even though they were crossing the threshold into being adults. Yeah, and according to that Rolling Stone piece, that could really pose a problem. It read, almost everyone agrees that little Missy should be sweet and spunky and pretty. But once you get to be 18, everybody has a different idea. One part of the audience might have gone goth, the other might have taken the cheerleader route. It's clear that Robert wanted to expand both Jewel Star and Mary-Kate and Ashley's reach. He wanted to expand into the male market by launching a Mary-Kate and Ashley clothing line for guys. He told Rolling Stone, First, people have to get over the perception that I'm insane, but it will work. Donna Karen sells to men and Giorgio Armani sells to women. The fact he's even comparing these two 17-year-olds to Donna Karen and Giorgio Armani is pretty interesting. <laughs> like he just had the incredibly high hopes yeah. for what this company was to be. Yeah, he also had high hopes to transition Mary-Kate and Ashley to what he believed were more sophisticated projects. He wanted them to produce movies for networks like MTV and Lifetime. He said they won't star in the films and they'll have more latitude as producers. Like a lot of being told what they're doing, you know. <laughs> it became clear, though, that the transition for Mary-Kate and Ashley into adulthood wasn't easy. In 2004, they starred in another Jewel Star film that you might remember. It was called New York Minute. <sighs> it sounded like this film, right, was supposed to mark their shift into more mature content. Now, according to Rolling Stone, this film was part of Robert's plan to expand the twins' brand and appeal to college-age guys with more comedic content. The film, though, was a commercial and critical flop, which is not the kind of flop you want. Yeah, two prominent film critics in the US, so Roger Ebert and Richard Roper, actually gave the film two thumbs down. Roger said the film, and I quote, not only should have gone straight to video, but should have gone straight through video and kept on going to the end of the universe and never looked back. He then said it was obviously generated entirely as a vehicle for the Olsen twins, but the kind of vehicle that has nowhere to go or what to do. It's about as emphatic as it gets, oh, isn't it? It's bad. Atusa Rubenstein, who was the editor-in-chief of Seventeen magazine at the time, told Salon, the fact that New York Minute was such a financial and critical disappointment really says something about them and the way their standard model is floundering. They have a major challenge ahead of them right now. It is kind of one of those things where everything for a long time that Mary-Kate and Ashley touched was gold. Yeah, and then... The shine was lost somewhere. Because people felt that they were getting too old. And again, that's an in inverted commas. Mm. And then the media just got worse as well as the twins approached their 18th birthday. The media kind of lost its mind and just became a downright like cesspit. New York Post wrote on June 13, lock up the boyfriends, the Olsen twins are legal and they're loaded. Now, 
To give some context, the Olsons weren't the only child stars to face this kind of treatment in the media. That same year, 18-year-old Lindsay Lohan appeared on the cover of Rolling Stone with the headline, Hot, Ready and Legal. This idea of legal, lock up your boyfriends, the twins are legal, they can go out and have sex legally, was everywhere. Yeah, several websites were dedicated to counting down the minutes until their birthday. One website with a countdown wrote, Gentlemen, start your engines and get out your best booze. The Olsen twins are waiting for you. Another said, Find out if the twins are already legal in your state. Avoid pesky jail time and legal fees. Mm, As the San Francisco Chronicle wrote, The Olsen twins were clearly special news. Sort of a perfect storm in the annals of caterpillar to butterfly lechery. The pair had been on television or in movies for all except the first few months of their lives with every move dissected in the public eye, including this week's reports that Mary-Kate entered a treatment facility for an eating disorder. And to be blunt, there are two of them. Hundreds of famous girls more attractive than the Olsen twins have turned 18, but the threesome factor boosts the gleeful perversion to unprecedented levels. This piece is interesting Uh, because it was kind of trying to do that thing where it's like, how fucked is the media about them? And tried to write this like semi-ironic piece about how wild everybody else is. But when you pull out snippets, it's like you're just re-reporting the same gross stuff. Like if you really want to take down the horrendous reporting of this, take it down. Hundreds of famous girls more attractive than the Olsen twins. Like why? Yeah. Why do you have to say that? Why are you commenting on where you think they fit in the spectrum of attractiveness. Especially if you're trying to pretend that you're defending them. It's so, yeah, it's so bad. It's beyond words. I do want to give a quick trigger warning before we jump into this next part of the conversation, Mish, because we are about to have a chat about how horrendous the reporting was at this time around Mary-Kate's rumoured eating disorder. And some of these details may be triggering for some of our listeners. So if you do need help, please call the Butterfly Foundation on 1800-ED-HOPE. As for Mary-Kate and Ashley Mish, poor movie reviews were honestly kind of the least of their worries at this time. Throughout 2004, they'd been dealing with a lot of really, really horrible rumours and reports around Mary-Kate's visible weight loss. Yeah, one particular moment that was written about was the unveiling of the twins' Hollywood Walk of Fame star in April. Peter Castro, the assistant managing editor of People magazine, looking back on the moment, remarked, you know, you had Mary-Kate at the Walk of Fame unveiling wearing a backless dress. You could really tell, I mean, the bones were just sticking out. Star magazine put photos of Mary-Kate bending over in her dress with her back exposed on the cover with the headline, Mary-Kate Olsen, Skin and Bones. Inside the magazine, a double-page spread with the title, Way Too Thin, showed more photos of her back from the premiere. I mean, I know this might sound like an obvious point, but I find it bizarre that the media, while she was doing press for New York Minute, focused so intently on this given what we know of this as a mental health issue. Yeah, one of the worst moments around this time was when the Olsen twins actually went on Oprah shortly before their 18th birthday. Now, this interview has actually recently resurfaced on TikTok and has been criticised rightly for just how awful it is. We're going to play you a snippet of the exchange for you to listen to. I know there's a new rumour that's recently surfaced has really upset you, right? Uh, You know, the one about eating. Yeah, you know, people are going to write what they want to write. I, we try not to read the good or the bad mm-hmm. because it just kind of comes with the territory. Mm-hmm. You know, either you're too fat, you're too skinny, and people are just going to write what they, they What size think. are you, by the way? 
guys. Yeah, I would like to know. Sure. Sure. I You're not sure? Girls and, oh, you know. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> is so interesting i'm like obsessed with size and you're like i really don't know i mean it was hugely uncomfortable and inappropriate and the twins at this point were clearly sick of the tabloids when they appeared on saturday night live not long after on may 8th 2004 they did a skit in which they played paparazzi screaming at them on red carpets they yelled things like you're too skinny eat a sandwich (laughs) i mean good on them for hitting back yeah they publicly denied that mary kate had a problem in a people magazine cover story in may ashley said that being in the public eye you're labeled that you have an eating disorder but quickly added we don't have problems there's nothing to worry about yeah unfortunately things only got worse after their 18th birthday in june tabloids started reporting that mary kate had actually been admitted to a clinic for treatment of an eating disorder people magazine reported a statement from mary kate's spokesperson who confirmed she recently entered a treatment facility to seek professional help for a health related issue mary kate is thankful for the encouragement and support of her friends and family who are with her every step of the way Yeah, the media coverage, as you can imagine, was just so awful. Other rumours also floated around about how Mary Kate was, you know, reportedly struggling with a cocaine addiction and seeking treatment. Her spokesperson even had to come forward and deny the claim that she'd been admitted to a treatment facility for drugs. Her dad also dismissed the reports, saying, I can't control what other people say. It is frustrating, but I've got to keep an eye on the bull right now. Mm. NBC News did a whole TV segment about the whole thing, trying to paint this as like a dark stain on Mary-Kate and Ashley's otherwise squeaky clean life. It was weird how this was sort of like reported as if it was – some sort of mark on her character rather than what could have been a mental health issue. Yeah, well, one of those quotes in the NBC report was, this is the first bump in the road for the Olsen twins' otherwise squeaky clean image. They really painted this as the falling of Mary Kate. Peter Castro, that assistant managing editor at People Magazine, said, in an era right now where so many celebrity teens are partying and just acting recklessly, the Olsens were the standard of decorum and good behaviour. Were. Were. Uh, Not anymore because one of them might struggle with what I I think so many young people struggle with. How many people struggle with eating problems or a messy relationship with food or a toxic relationship with food? And that was seen as you don't have decorum or good behaviour. Ashley ended up cancelling her trip to Australia to promote their new film, New York Minute, so she could be with her sister And fair enough too. It was years before Mary-Kate publicly addressed what happened. And to be clear, she never confirmed exactly what she'd been working through at that rehab facility. Years later, during an Elle magazine profile, she said, look, I think it's important that what anybody goes through, and I'm not saying that it's true or not true, you realise it's part of growing up. Everybody is going to go through hard times. It's part of your life. She also talked about how hard asking for help is and that you have to be honest with yourself. She said, I do not want to go through my life with my eyes shut and I don't want to go through it with a closed mind. I want to be aware of things and I'd rather know than not know. She's pretty vague in these quotes and it's kind of, as we said, the only time she ever mentioned much at all. But I think it's it's totally her prerogative and definitely the attitude that these two have taken over the last few decades of being in the public eye of being vague and private about what they've been going through. Yeah, I think it's very unsurprising given everything we've covered in this episode and everything that we've spoken about just in the year of 2004 
that Mary-Kate and Ashley have really retreated from the public eye. In fact, New York Minute was the last movie Ashley Olsen ever appeared in and the last time they ever acted together. But that is not where this story ends because over the next 16 years, Mary-Kate and Ashley would reinvent themselves into the elusive, enigmatic creators of one of the US's most sought-after luxury fashion labels. Yeah, all of this... And so much more on the next episode of Scandal. A big thank you as always to our researcher, Justine Landis-Hanley, who was assisted in her research with this one by Sahani Gunatilika. If you want to come and see some of those really nostalgic film covers Mm. and, you know, photos of Mary-Kate and Ashley through this time because, oh, my God, it brought, like, so many memories for me. Nostalgia. Come and follow us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. Yeah, always on TikTok as well, guys. We're at Shameless underscore podcast. We'll be back in your ears on Thursday. media this podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land always was always will be aboriginal land